Come on, if you know it's working out for you, I dare you put your hands together and Shabbat the Lord. If you know that it's working out for you, if you know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, I dare you Shabbat the Lord. Open up your mouth. Give him praise. Give him glory. Oh, come on. The generator tried to shut us down and we praised in the dark. Come on and give him glory. Yeah, come on, because they left some oil up here. Yeah, yeah, God. something there's few things more endearing than when we see the scripture play out in real life the bible declares it takes two or three to be gathered in agreement and he shall be where in the midst of them and shall be their god i get encouraged because i serve in a prophetic house and the question the Lord asked me at about 6 a.m. this morning, you guys answered it before I asked you. The Holy Spirit says, what have you sacrificed lately? Mm, my God. He said, what have you sacrificed lately? I'm not the only one that asks myself sometimes, Lord, this can't be it. This can't be the last time I, I do this. This can't be the last experience I have in your spirit. What's going on, Lord? I was walking to the church on Wednesday, and I was coming to the door, and I said, God, I don't want another emotional experience. I don't want something just to get me through the day. You're not my drug dealer, Lord. I don't need a hit. I need a fix. I need you to deal with something, because if I get another hit, I'm still going to be thirsty. If I get another sip, I'm still going to be hungry. And if I don't want to be hungry, just like he told the woman at the well, what I'm going to give to you, you'll never thirst again. What I'm going to do for you, you're never going to hunger again. So I said, Lord, how do we get from point A to point B? And he asked the question, what have you sacrificed lately? And I love that the Lord deals with me in questions because it gives me a time to unfold and see what you're talking about. Oh, I said, well, God, I come to service and I do service and I do ministry. He says, but what have you sacrificed lately? He begins to show me that what he's asking for and sacrifice isn't my tithes and offering. And it isn't clapping my hands and it isn't picking up my feet. He's asking me to sacrifice my level of comfort. He's asking me to sacrifice that safe place that I've developed in my own mind that lets me uh, act a certain way and behave a certain way and have a certain level of expectation. What have you sacrificed lately? It's funny, I'm, I'm going to say it like this. I was writing my notes and the Holy Spirit kept saying Thomasina. And I'm like, well, Lord, is she up to preach today instead of me? I still have my notes ready, no problem. He kept saying Thomasina. And, you know, I honor you, prophet. For being obedient because it, it's oh, I'm glad three people clap because it's something different when you work in tandem and the Holy Spirit is allowed to have his way because I really laughed in my seat because I don't have to preach Tom preached my whole message for another week in a row and I'm like well you just want to make my job easy don't you because the, the scripture that we're going to start with today comes from Romans 12 and 1 
He says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. I know I got more preachers in the house than that. I know I got a few more people that believe in God that understand how to finish that scripture. It says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present holy and a, which is your come on in here put your hands together for God he said I beseech ye therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye would present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable Hold on, universal and acceptable, one-minded and acceptable, collected in thought and acceptable, reasonable and acceptable. He said, this is your reasonable service. I'm going to use one of them preacher lines I don't like. I ain't going to be before you long because the Lord already did what he had to do. And I declare in here there's another wave after we get through this notes that there's another wave of anointing that's going to sweep through here. I Listen to me. I've been in this church a long time and there's only one time that we've shut the block down on power. So when the lights went off and the floodlights went on, I said, ooh. Because I told you how my grandmama raised me. Once, once it get dark and the lights go out, God is talking. You're not supposed to move. So the child in me got a little triggered. Oh, God talking. I'm not supposed to move. Oh, wait. Let me go make sure the power's on. Let me go check the breaker real quick. Let me tell you something. That wasn't our breaker. Our breaker's still on. That was the block that shut off. Oh, somebody else will catch that. Because the apostle just said we could be lazy and selfish and stay in here and keep anointing each other. Or we can go outside and be effective. Our breaker was still on. The generator shut off. Must be an indication that we have somewhere to be. I was sitting through praise and worship trying to hold my composure. Because what happens when it gets real good to you, you start to get a little antsy in your seat. And y'all know I don't have no rhythm, but I sure rock. And I sure get to tapping. And Tom keep looking at me. I'm like, leave me alone because I'm trying to be dignified. The reason why the Holy Spirit asked this question, what have you sacrificed lately? Is because there's a mindset that has infiltrated the body. And I was looking for language for it. I was like, God, there's, there's a word that goes with that. And I can't seem to, you know, get the word out. On praise and worship, he broke it down. Consumer capitalism by way of indirect conditioning. Consumer capitalism by way of indirect conditioning. Consumer capitalism is defined as an economic system where consumers are the primary drivers of production. In this system, consumers determine what products are produced and how they are made. If anybody got discernment, y'all see the problem right in that sentence. The goal of consumer capitalism is to maximize profits by satisfying as many consumers as possible. That don't sound like them YouTube churches. That don't sound like that pop doctrine that they gauge their growth on how many people I'm able to satisfy. The part that got on my nerves, well, pretty much all of it got on my nerves, but the part that got on my nerves was consumers determine what products are produced and how they are made. Somehow we got comfortable making God into what we want him to look like rather than who he actually is. We had a, a, a issue of the mind where we took the illustration of who we thought God should be and made him into this idol. 
If the Bible be true, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. At no given time did the word say that his goodness is predicated on what I think he should do and what products I think he should make and what I want. It's a westernized mindset that we've somehow established in the church where as a consumer, so long as I'm pleased, and we had a good move today. God showed up so long as I'm pleased. The church is doing well so long as the people are pleased. Let me tell you something. If you know anything about the church of the Bible, there's reasons why they had to make secret altars because Jokers was getting killed for being in service. It wasn't about if the wind blew the way you liked it today or if they sacrificed the right animal today, if it smelled like frankincense and myrrh instead of myrrh and frankincense. It was about what they showed up for. Let me tell you, that mindset and the emphasis on the consumer has drawn us away from sacrifice. You know why? That's the part you also say, why? I'm so glad you asked me because you know what happens? We put more emphasis on the creator in the creation instead of the creator by himself. In the developing in the comfortable space, we have this habit of making contingencies that make us comfortable. We have these habits or maladaptive coping mechanisms that supposedly make us comfortable. Because we put emphasis on the consumer, we forget that it's not us that is supposed to satisfy my life. It's not me that's supposed to cause the abundance. It's not me that's doing the drawing. It's not me that's doing the giving. There's someone that I'm supposed to submit to. We talked about submission, and it means to humble yourself before a superior force. But when you're in this mindset, you're the superior force. So then why would I sacrifice? Why would I sacrifice if I could do it myself? Ask yourself the question. Not saying that this is us, each and every one of us, but think about the mindset. If I thought that I was self-sufficient, why would I sacrifice? You wouldn't have a reason to. This is where the question comes in. The Holy Spirit asks, what have you sacrificed lately? So as you know, the Holy Spirit does, being the master teacher, he begins to whip me through scripture and showing that in the Bible, the sacrifice of comfort always preceded a great move of God. If you look about any of your favorite Bible stories, every time God showed up in a mighty way, somebody sacrificed their comfort. Somebody gave up their ability to be comfortable. So watch, you can go through Moses, Joshua, Samson, Ruth, Ezra. You can go all the way from cover to cover in the Bible and realize that sacrifice came by way of comfort. You had to give it up. You couldn't stay here and do that. Doesn't the Bible say you can't serve two masters? You'll love one and hate the other one. There comes a time in the life of the believer that I have to be willing to let go of what comforts me. It's like being the child and I'm walking around like Lionel holding my dirty blanket and everywhere I go in my adult life, I'm still holding on to that nostalgic aspect that makes me comfortable. How are we to grow in God if I'm still holding on to something that's an idol? Let's be clear about it. That nostalgic artifact is not just a blanket. It's now become an idol in our lives because when God doesn't answer me as quick as I want him to, to answer me, I go back to the comfortable place. When he doesn't do what I think he should do, I go back to the comfortable place. It's that mindset that the Israelites had that we should have stayed in Pharaoh's house. Somehow they forgot the atrocities of Pharaoh's house and thought that it was better to go back there than to stay where they were. 
all because you didn't show up how I thought you should show up. And you weren't doing, Moses, what I thought you should be doing. Even this, even before the word capitalism existed, it was in the midst of the people that they had that same ideal because the product that's being produced is not based on my comfortability, I don't want it. You mean to tell me that you're willing to go back to being whipped and under a hard taskmaster, hot all day, carrying limestone that was over a ton, that it took 30 yards to drag? You'd rather go that, that far back than to walk forward. It's a mindset that bewitches the believer. So for the sake of today's conversation, there are three typologies of sacrifice the Holy Spirit wants to discuss, all involving comfort. First would be the sacrifice of material wealth. I knew it was going to get bone quiet as soon as I hit that one. Because as it pertains to the notes, that's not even the first part. I said, Lord, why do you want to put that first? Just watch. The sacrifice of self-image and a sacrifice of our will. Now, if y'all know me, we are going through the word. Let me see y'all lift your swords. Who brought their word in here today? Oh, it sound look like an army. I feel like Leonidas up here. This ain't nothing but a bunch of swords. Amen. I didn't even see a phone yet. Y'all getting the message. Amen. <laughs> Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. The Bible reads, When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lamb from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. I laughed at that part, too, because you know how bad your face got to be screwed up for God to say that you look dejected? You got to be over there with the scrunch face. Verse 6 says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? Number 7 says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. Okay, I know I have some preachers in here. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you ref refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Let me tell you how that verse will preach itself. Verse 7 said, "If you, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But watch out, because sin is looking for you. Early in the chapter, the Bible explains that Cain and his brother Abel were both working men. These two brothers, one a shepherd and other one in agriculture, both had acquired some wealth. Let's understand the currency of biblical times. It dealt with animals in agriculture. That the more livestock you had and the more crops you had, it's, it, it uh, symbolizes your wealth and status in the community. When it came to time to give offering, there was a difference in between, uh, of opinion between them both. Cain thought it was suitable to just give some crops. No specific portion, just grab, gathered up and brought it to the place of offering or sacrifice. So just imagine this. You've been called to God, and it's time to sacrifice. As a last-ditch effort, I just grabbed a bunch of crops and jumped in the car. I didn't inspect them. I didn't look at them. I know I have all this. Let me just grab a handful and jump in the whip. Abel, however, brought the best portion of the firstborn of lambs from his flock. Abel doubled down because the scripture said the best portion of the firstborn. 
not just the best of what he had. He made sure that it was the best of what was given. Because, you know, if you look in the Bible, how much God loves the firstborn. I wish my brother was here because God loves the firstborn. He, do, he does something special with the firstborn. Amen. <laughs> I got to laugh at that part. What we see is how material wealth and items deal greatly with our identities as people. That when we are, when we can acquire and be honestly, excuse me, when we can acquire and honestly hold on to what provides us this sense of worth, it's a matter of our personality. I was thinking this whole service, I, I said, Lord, can you give me another example? He said, no, because I got a cousin, God bless her soul, that don't got two blood nickels to put together, but got Louis V. Anything. Louis V. Gucci down to the socks. It has nothing to show for it. And every time we go out in public, you know, oh my God, you look so nice. I'm like, Joker, you owe me $30. How you got on all these labels? And they're not fake labels. I'm like, God, come on now, because the math ain't mathing. I know what it looked like when we get back inside the house. And this is what he started showing me the mindset of those that are captivated by acquisition. Those that are captivated by what I can show outwardly can hide what I'm not having inwardly. That if I can put a good label on it, if I can put some good clothes on it, if I can make it look real nice, oh Lord, I'm not gonna share that illustration. Because he said when they put on them lace fronts and they got the genuine braids under it, that's exactly what it looked like. That's exactly what it looked like. You made it look good when you put the little toothbrush to it and got the edges real nice, but you know you look like Sealy under that hat. That's what's the issue in the spirit. Y'all follow me in the spirit. Come on now. Because listen, I wish some of my brothers would back me up. We don't care about none of them toothbrushes. We will take you bald-headed, nappy, braided down. You still fine. But you putting that glue on your scalp for not a narrow reason and knowing that you won't give yourself third-degree burns trying to get that hat off. So in the natural, so in the... Okay, somebody back me. Thank you. So in the natural, so in the spirit. Listen, and brothers, we can't get off because we go to the barbershop and let them put the Sharpie to your scalp and then you go outside and sweat and you looking like Sting from WWCW out here looking like you melting. We do these things because they're supposed to mask what we don't have. Brothers do it because our hairline's leaving. Sisters do it because you didn't have a hairline in the first place. We have an issue. I'm just, I'm, listen, that's the illustration he gave me. Keeping it real. Because if you think about the mindset behind it, why did you spend this much money to do this? I told my barber, if you ever in your life put a paintbrush near my scalp, you're going to have to run me to 30 because I'm not going outside and it's hot and I'm going to melt in my face. I have a little more dignity. If my hairline is that bad, shave me bald. But don't you put no paint up here. Because again, look at the condition of the spirit in this matter. That we're masking insufficiencies and we're masking shortcomings and we're masking things that rather than deal with the shortcoming, I'd rather make it look good. It's easier to make it look good than to deal with my shortcomings. Why would I sacrifice if I can do it like this? Why would I do any personal work if I can make it look good? If I can fool some of y'all half of the time, oh, okay. Because I don't know nobody. 
I'll be on these jokers' social media platforms, and people be liking this picture, and you can see the difference in color between the Beijing and the real hair. What are you liking? But it shows that it's not just one person. That is a mindset that most people have, that we are accepting of this. Now, the first part what I told you in the introduction, indirect conditioning. The definition of indirect conditioning is, basically, I saw you do it, I liked it, so I did it. It didn't happen to me. When you look it up on Google, it says, when you watch a dog jump on a child, and a child reacts in fear, now you have a fear of the dog, but the dog never touched you. It's indirect conditioning. So in, in people's acquirement of understanding, I'll see Reverend Jerry do it. Oh, that Beijing look kind of nice. Mind you, I only saw him while he was in the AC. So now when he gets up from the chair, I do it too. Not understanding that he might need to let that go. It's the same mindset, right? So fast forward to the modern world. Acquisition is the name of the game. We give, understand, and label value based on what we can acquire. This goes beyond the price tag and into our minds. We see it in pursuit, people's pursuit of material objects. Let me tell you something. When I first got out of my mama's house, and I thought, you know, I'm a young man, I gotta make my own. First of all, I left home too early. Every young person that comes to the bank, I tell them to shut up. Because you wanna leave your parents' house so bad, and it is slow out here. You wanna get outside and be so big and bold, and you wanna be so tough, the thing called bills and taxes are going to whoop your behind till you want to go home. But we wanna speed through life. I, I was doing the notes, and I kept thinking about how much money I blew in my youth because I wanted to make it look like I was doing something right. Bought the big old TV, and ain't got, don't got no cable, no Wi-Fi. It's just on the wall. So in theory, when I posted the box, it looked like a 55-inch, but that joke is not even on. It's just on the wall. And it never, it never got to me to think that, how foolish are you behaving? You spent six, $700 on something that you can't use. I was thinking today, I've had multiple Apple Watches, and don't wear near one. Gave one away, I got one sitting in the car. Why do you have it? What's the purpose? What are, you, what are you doing with these acquirements? What is it doing? It's showing the insufficiencies in your soul. It's showing the holes in the issues that you're dealing with in your soul. Why do I feel like I need to buy something to mean something? Why do I feel like I need to buy something to be validated? What is the issue? It's a mindset. Quite honestly, we are working against our own true desires as believers. In this aspect, we want to be validated by God. We want God to confirm us. We want God to love us, to shine his blessings upon us. We want God to do what he did in the scripture. Make it even more real. We want God to do what he did in here this morning all the time. But where is my level of sacrifice? Because I have an expectation but no place of inhabitation. I have an expectation of God, but the place where he's supposed to be is filled up with stuff. I desire God to be something, do something, say something, act on something, and I'm not willing to sacrifice my safe place. I'm not willing to give up that place of comfort because should you disappoint me, God? Stop right there. That in itself was a problem. Should you disappoint me? How do you have faith in someone that you feel may or may not disappoint you? I've been saying it for a while that we relate to God the way we relate to people. Now, you a good brother, but the Bible says that the arms of flesh will always fail you. 
not that you want to do me wrong on purpose, but you're a person. You're you're not the end all be all. But how do we take that perspective and then put it on God? We call you almighty while we're praising you. and We tell you you're sovereign while we're worshiping. But should you disappoint me, God, I got a backup plan. Mm. The thing that got me about the, the difference between Cain and Abel, Cain thought it was sufficient just to grab some stuff and then look dejected in the face when it didn't measure up to what I was supposed to be doing. How could you feel that way, sir, if you really measured your level of sacrifice? If you had a moment of self-awareness, how do you feel that way? Because if you really looked at the sacrifice, it's indicative of the response. You still at the altar praying for healing? You still looking for God to show up on your finances? But you won't make room for nothing. God is not a hoarder. Yes, he has abundance, but he hoards nothing. So while you still filling up your own basin, you still at the ancestors' well filling up your own bucket, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to wait for you to make room for me. This is how we go through seasons and seasons and seasons and generations of people who have not acquired the abundance that God has for us. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and they kept talking about generations of people who live on welfare, not just in the 70s, not just in the 80s, but the current day, that whole family living in that same apartment, paying $62 for rent. Oh, y'all think it's funny. This, no, this, this, this is a real mindset because somehow we get stuck in this impoverished mind. Where Now look, the rent $62, but you got $9,000 worth of rent-a-center in your living room just so people can come over. Oh, girl, this is nice. Don't know you ain't got a seed in the cabinet. Y'all gonna have to order something. There ain't no rice, ain't no Uncle Ben's in here, ain't nothing. But it looks good. It's a mindset. So as it pertains to uh, sacrifice, we have to get to the place of letting go of what's familiar and comfortable. I always love the illustration of Peter on the boat. The boat is the comfortable space. I know that uh, being a fisherman, I know that this boat floats. And I know how the sails and the masts work and how the rudder works. I have confidence because I've been on this boat for so many times. I know that going across from here to here, even in a storm, that my probability of being all right is okay. But then Jesus shows up. And he's standing off from the water. And the scripture says he beckoned him to come. Jesus gave him an opportunity to sacrifice. Are you going to stay on the boat where it's safe? Or are you going to do the unusual thing and let me show you my glory? Look at the mindset. He didn't immediately say, Master, Rabbi, Teacher. He said, is it a ghost? We so quick to disassociate between sacrifice and comfort, we want to make the other thing not real. I'm not supposed to tithe. I'm not supposed to get no money. That money line is for somebody else. I, don't, I, I shouldn't have to sacrifice. I can just show up to church anytime I want to. Oh, I'm talking to myself. Amen. <laughs> it is interwoven into our society that man, oh, I don't want to get that far. No, no, no. Because let me tell you something. God desires that we live an abundant life, but who gives abundance? That was 13 people that can be blessed. Who gives abundance? There you go. So if we, God desires that we live an abundant life, and abundant life is allotted for us. What's the problem? Oh, sounds like deliverance. <laughs> if the abundant life is already set up and the account is already full, What's the problem? You have to start looking at yourself. What is in the way? It's not the devil. 
And it's not spirits and demons. Extra deep. It's you. It's me. Listen, my comfortable thing, the Lord told me today, and, you know, my wife is special, because the Lord told me today to wear some pants with this shirt that had a lot of ink stains on it. And uh, Minister Abney was like, you, you won't wear that to church? She said, why? I said, because the Lord wanted to illustrate the lack of comfort and how much I'm willing to trust him because the stains on my pants would drive me nuts. I wouldn't even be able to focus while I'm preaching because I'd be thinking about these blue ink stains on my pants and the fact that y'all can see them. Thank God that I listened to my wife and didn't wear these pants. <laughs> but the illustration still works. Think about this. God asks us to do something, but we're not willing to be stretched. We don't know what the, is on the end of that stretching. We don't know what kind of response he's going to have. He, he never told us what the response is going to be. He said, do this and do that. But we're just dying to know what's on the other side before I trust him. Before I'm willing to give in, I just got to know what's on the other side. If you can give me the full equation, I'll do it, Lord. That's not obedience. That's stagnation. I'm going to stay here until you give me all the details, and then I'll go. Why? The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. How are we walking in, the, in a way that's supposed to please God and we can't believe him from point A to point B? We got to get the whole equation before we submit. We got to get all the answers before we do that thing. If you read the Bible, Luke 6 and 38 says it like this. Give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, runneth over, shall men be compelled to give unto your bosom. Do you know that's a formula for reciprocity? That as you give it away, He's going to make sure not just him, but men will be compelled to give it back to you. But we're praying for abundance, right? And we're looking for abundance and expectation, but we won't give. I, I'll be a little more honest. That word is a trigger word for me. Coming out of the, the state in which I grew up, the word give is an instant trigger. I'll give on my own volition, but you can't tell me to give. It stresses my whole soul out when anybody says, so we're going to do, who's we? The Lord told that to you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll chip in and throw something, but who's we? I wasn't in that conversation with y'all. That was you and Jesus. But this is why I get management positions and lose them. This is why financial blessings come and I blow them. This is why opportunities show up and I miss opportunities. Because you're only comfortable giving at where you're comfortable. But God wants to give at where he's comfortable. But you won't meet me halfway, so I can't give you my level of comfort because you're satisfied where you are. How your mind doing two things at the same time? I'm asking, petitioning the Lord to grow and to go deeper and to bring me further, and yet I'm still comfortable right here. Sounds like a double-minded man. At the end of that scripture says, you shall expect to receive nothing from God. Okay, we all know the word amen. Let's take it to Matthew chapter 8, verse 9. I get excited in this part because, again, we went from acquisition to talking about image. Now, image may not always be something you purchased. Image may be the persona that you have, the bravado that you walk around with, the air, the gas. I always tell my friends, even if I am cute today, don't gas me because I know that my flesh is arrogant. Don't gas me. Leave me alone. Put the compliments in a card that I'm not going to read because ain't no money in it. Oh, I'm the only one that's honest. Okay. Because I shake cards. My family stopped giving me homeworks a long time ago because I will shake them joints. 
And then when I'm down, now wait, there's always a come around. When I'm down in the season, I'll read them. Oh, that blessed me real good. I should have read this six months ago. I remember texting Sister Gwen. She sent me a, 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 I think it was a condolence card when my father passed, and I had put it in with all the other cards. And we were cleaning up to move out of my apartment, and I found a card in the drawer. I said, oh, you know, this season kind of sucks. Let me read this card. It may feel good about it. Man, there was a whole wad of cash in there. I said, well, God, my equilibrium must have been off because I sure shook this joint and didn't, oh, and the card was sincere. You got to be careful. It's not always about what you acquire. Think about the image as well. Matthew chapter 8. We're actually going to go from 7 to 9 uh, as far as verses, but we're going to start at verse 9. Verse 9 says, I know this because I am under authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. We'll stop right there. The ninth verse, the Roman officer has now introduced himself, not by name, but by self-image. He introduced introduce himself by the image that he has as a commanding officer. If you think about the United States government and our military, you can tell a general by the stars that he wears on his shoulder. You can tell the rank of officer by what he's wearing on his jacket. This man has now introduced himself, not by name. We never find out the Roman soldier's name. We find out that he's a superior officer. That's the image that he's carrying around. Now, granted, to be a Roman superior officer, you got to be a little brolic. You got to really be that kind of dude that Julius Caesar would trust you to be commanding of his, his, his army. You can't just be no slouch and be a superior officer. It's the same thing in our government. You can be a private first class, but if you want to rank up, you got to do some questionable things. <laughs> This is one of the biggest identifiers of people. We identify the importance of places, people, and things by what we're able to see naturally. The difference between the building next door and the Wadsworth is based on what we can see. Let me prove it. We don't know what they do next door. They could be in there building plutonium bombs. We would never know. But because the Wadsworth looks like a castle, we identify it as a place of value. Because we may have been in there and seen the artwork and see how it's laid out, we identify it as a place of value. We don't know, honestly, either one. We don't know how much that building is worth, and we don't know what they do in this building. But by what we can see, we identify it and place value on it. The beautiful part about verses 7 and 8 is that they lay out the importance of the sacrificing of image. Let's go to verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am, first of all, stop. He said, Lord. Now he identified himself in self-image saying I'm a superior officer and then sacrificed his image to identify who he was talking to. Lord, comma, which means stop. I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. In this moment, the officer didn't care that those he commanded could see him being submissive. Something drives me nuts about convenient, submissive behavior. That so long as I look cute, I'll shout. So long as it, I get to keep my tie and my clothes not wrinkled, I'll behave a certain way. I learn behavior is okay so long as I don't have to be uncomfortable. If you look in the verse of scripture, what the superior officer is doing, he shows his cadets or lesser, what do you say, the, the people that report to him that I'm being submissive to the man that I'm talking to. He didn't care that those who 
were over him saw him submitting to something greater. Again, self-image has a two sides to the coin. It's the people beneath me and the people above me. We won't sacrifice that place because I've earned the respect of people beneath me. And I don't want to look less than the people above me. So I'll stay in a comfortable place of maintaining my self-image. Mind you, I'm decaying from the inside out. I'm not growing. I'm not maturing. Nothing is going on, but I sure look the part. As I'm writing the note, something that's stressing me out, we see church flyers every week of the leaders looking like the Avengers. This whole flyer, they got every nice suit on, they got the ties on, but you show up to these services and they are dead. The Holy Spirit is not there, it's quiet, and it's the clanging of brass. The image looked nice. I was drawn in by the flyer because the flyer looked real anointed. I am going to hold you. The flyer looked like we was about to have a Holy Ghost time, and we showed up. What in the name of the Lord? More often, Apostle will tell me to shut up because I am texting via uh, the service like, Apostle, I'm sorry in advance. I'm not going to clap my hands. I'm going to sit here because this is foolishness. But it looked good. The image, the chair, the ring, the cossack, the suit, it looked good. But what do we talk about the form of godliness and denying the power thereof? There's a way that it looks but if we're not willing to sacrifice self-image, God can't edify you internally. God desires to build us up, to live vicariously through us, but we can't do that because I'm holding on to my image. I want to shout cute because I'm the first lady. I want to shout cute because I'm, I'm the, the preacher of the hour and I want to look a certain way. If you want to go back to the disciples, them jokers didn't own a tie, didn't own a belt. It was tunics and dirt. It was sandals and dirt all day. But we have this image that we want it to look right. Again, this is the Western mindset that has infiltrated the church where it has to look a certain way for it to be holy. It got to look a certain way to be anointed. I can't wait till black church realizes that we're not Catholic. And every time we have an ascension service, we don't have to put on all these daggone garbs and hats and scepters and foolishness to make it look like something. If God is promoting in you, the kabod already shows. The glory is already evident if God is doing what he's doing in your life. It doesn't require me to wear a sign that says I'm holy. I don't need to, hi, my name is holy. I don't need that. All I really need is for God to do what he's already doing because I've made way for him. I've decided to sacrifice my self-image. Again, we're looking at the Roman soldier. I believe in you more, Lord, than my authority as a superior officer. I'm more willing to let my soldiers see me in a certain context than to hold on to this error. Mind you, he went to Jesus because his servant was dying. Now imagine if you would have stayed in that self-image knowing that I'm superior and didn't fall into that Kairos moment of his servant being healed. The self-image or the satisfying of self-image would have kept him stagnant. We would have missed the blessing. There'd be no story about the centurion soldier getting what God had for him because the image took over the sacrifice. So now we've dealt with material objects and we've dealt with self-image. Listen, they may not all be us. I know that I'm not really one much for material things. I will wear the same t-shirt until that hole is too big to hide. I'm okay with the Walmart 499 shirt. I'm straight. I know that one for me definitely is self-image dealing with what people see of me rather than what I want you to see of me. I have a really big issue, or I had a big issue 
with people being able to actually see me. I have to look like a certain way. I have to be built a certain way. I have to talk a certain way so that you don't see my insecurities. You don't see the holes that I may have. You don't see the issues that I may deal with because my persona is going to speak louder than my problems. But how can God deliver someone like that? How can God move in someone like that that's still holding on to so much stuff? Again, we talk about the sin that holds you up, but we don't talk about the weight. The weight that makes you stagnant, that makes you stand still. You know what happens if you jump in water with weight on you? You get stuck at the bottom. Mind you, water is supposed to be a life-giving substance. But if you get into water with weight, you will drown. It's the same thing we're dealing with in God. We get stuck somewhere. We hold on to too much weight. We try to step out on the water and forget that we have weights on us. We have issues and our soul that I don't want nobody to see. Because I'm willing to sacrifice so long as I'm comfortable. I'm willing to show up to church so long as I'm comfortable. But it's God so help me if you talk about my depression. If you talk about my issues, my anxiety, the ADHD. If you start talking about the things that I actually try to hide from other people, I don't want to sacrifice anymore. I clam up and become recluse because I don't want anyone to see that I'm not what I portray to be. That's a problem. So we're going to go to... Yep, that's exactly where I want to go. I tell you the truth, God honest truth. I've never preached or taught or displayed a truer aspect in God than when hell was at my front door. It's something I've had to learn over time that you don't allow the opposition or the issue or the weight to stop you from giving God what belongs to him. You're supposed to use it as an inspiration. When the enemy wants hell to look scary and make you fearful, you're literally supposed to take that as an indicator that you're moving somewhere. Because let me tell you something real clear. The devil don't bother nobody that's not bothering him. So when not, not opposition, not my check didn't come this week, when hell shows up at your door, it's actually an indicator that you're doing something greater, that you're on to something, that you're moving somewhere, that your horizon is coming a little closer. I've never done better in God than when hell is on my back. The enemy has discerned something that you are unaware of and has sent hell as a response and rather than harbor the warfare, keep it, keeping it hidden from folk. Oh, I, I'm going to be honest. Because one thing we will do is harbor warfare. We'll keep it close to the breast so nobody else knows that my house is in disarray. Nobody needs to know that we're going through nothing over here. The light's been off two weeks, and I'm sitting amongst a bunch of believers, but I won't tell nobody. It's one of the biggest issues that we do in church, that we come here and we fake the funk. We come in here with the holy face and don't tell nobody that I need something. I learned from a man of God that I can't serve unless you say. The sermon works, but I can't serve unless you say. You come in here with the, how you doing? God is good. I know that. How are you doing? Blows my mind. You're asking me, how you doing? Oh, the Lord mighty good. I know. You didn't answer the question. How are you? But then you go home to the same despair, same issue, same whispers of the mind, same insecurity. When we are amongst a body of believers, it doesn't take much for someone to intercede on your behalf. The word says, if any of you are sick among you, call on the elders. Why did you go home with that? Why did you leave here with that? Why sit through praise and worship and the move of God and the Holy Spirit descending and it's such a quaking in here and you left with it? 
Because honestly, warfare becomes a badge that we wear to tell us that we have value. Because I'm in the midst of going through something, it makes me significant. You know how low you got to be for your opposition to make you significant? But you lack self-awareness, so you won't see it. So then you won't acknowledge it. So then you won't deal with it. God puts a measure of grace on each and every one of us. And we miss it continually because we're harboring things. We're holding on to self-image. We're holding on to acquisition. We're holding on to literal warfare. If y'all know anything about the house that we're in and the apostle we serve, we like to fight. But then we got to find out through Facebook that you're in the hospital. Or somebody got to text us third party and tell us that you're going through something. We got to hear it through the grapevine. But you was here Sunday. I can't tell you how many times that's my response. We just seen them. They was just here. Why, why they ain't say nothing? Consumer capitalism, this mindset that I have to be the source and I have to be the one in control. I'm not willing to sacrifice the image that I've built up. So now that we've got down acquisition and image, here's the best one. It's a sacrifice of self. Oh, they, they all sound like they go together. It's layers to this. How Donkey said, onions, they have layers. You got to deal with the layers of these things. I have to sacrifice myself. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 1, to be a living sacrifice. Now, the things that we just initially talked about deals with our mindset. But the sacrificing of self deals with me as a person. Physical, metaphysical, conscious, subconscious. It deals with me as a total person. From a holistic point, when you sacrifice yourself, I give it all. Not just pieces. The first two are just examples of the myriad of things that you may go through as, as it pertains to your comfort. Because I know me. I'm different than y'all. My comfort comes from dark rooms and quiet. Like when I get really annoyed, that's the place I retreat to. Shut off all the lights. Don't nobody speak to me. And I'm going to sit in this corner until I work it out. Or my comfort, I'll go find a tree in the middle of nowhere and sit under it. Those are the good ones. So imagine the bad ones. Okay. So I'll be a little transparent, right? The second one is me. Dealing with self-image. I used to walk around brokenhearted all the time. From the ages of 15 to 18, I would make routine attempts at suicide but I had to keep a face on that my heart couldn't support. And while I was outside my room, I probably looked sad, but you could never tell how deep it was. Because it was a learned behavior that I learned throughout indirect conditioning. I learned it from other people how to put on a holy face. Mama, you know dag on well what daddy just did and cut up before we got to service. And here you are smiling in people's face trying to serve them water. I'm at the, if, if that was my life, I'm at the altar. I'm not about to just walk in here and put a good face on. But indirect conditioning teaches me that now I have to put on a holy face. So although I'm, I'm talking about, you ever been so down in your feelings that your toes hurt? That your bones start to ache? Oh, it's just me. Because when I get sad, I get sad. It hurts in a physical way. Now, my emotions are in my mind and in my feelings, but my physical body begins to hurt when I was this low. So I'm walking around and trying to keep the good face on. Even when I came in the church initially, I would put on a good face as I learned as a boy and made sure I didn't disrupt service with the spirit of heaviness that I was carrying into the building. You know how stupid that sounds? That I'm going to hold on to a spirit of heaviness in the church so I don't disrupt service. 
You see how the mind works? They tell you that you're the problem and not that you're dealing with the problem. This is why a sacrificing of self is so important. It wasn't until Apostle preached that I really got my deliverance. She said, I've tried to kill myself so many times, I might as well be a dead man in Christ. I sat in the sanctuary for about an hour after that. I said, oh, that makes a lot more sense. That if I'm going to give up my life, I might as well give it up in a way that makes sense. If I don't want this life, I might as well deliver to somebody who does want my life and let him do something better with it. I must be the only one that dealt with this kind of stuff. I don't need y'all to applause. It's a real thing. Because when you stop to think about it, if I don't want my life, why not give it to somebody who does? Why not avail it to somebody who's going to do something with it that obviously I've given up the option to do? It wasn't until this point in life where now I have peace because I've decided to sacrifice myself. Let's go to Matthew 26 and 39. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 26 and 39 that Jesus went with his boys. I, you know, I say his boys because some jokers are something different. Jesus went with his boys to the olive grove called Gethsemane. Now, you know we're a word church, so I had to look up the word Gethsemane. You know the word Gethsemane means oil press? I said, God, it's funny that Jesus went to the place of oil press to get out his issues, to deal with himself. Mind you, Gethsemane is at the bottom of the mountain of the Mount of Olives, and I go here to get oil pressed. I said, Jesus, I love how you do things because I'm not just going to make an altar anywhere. I'm going to go to where they press olives anyway because I'm pressed on every side, and I need a response. So I'm going to go to the place of pressing to get my issue worked out. The scripture says in verse 39, and he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Got to stop right there. There's a period. So now you see even Jesus in his fleshly nature, in his human form, wants to not come out of the comfortable place. Now, mind you, in Luke, he's, I believe it's the 22nd chapter, he said, I, if I wanted to call 12 legions of angels, we did the math, that's 12,000 at the minimum, they would get me out of this. But I'm going to do this anyway. Now, we look in Matthew, he's bowed down and gets said to me, and if this cup of suffering could pass me, if I could not deal with this, mind you, he never said not do the will. Could I avoid what's happening tomorrow morning and still get your job done? That don't sound like the church today? That we'll do it, God, but you got you to give me a plan B. You know how you get on your Waze app, and it says this is the fastest way, but they got traffic, and then you four other routes? That's what Jesus was looking for. I still want to do your will, but can we? Because Jesus is the epitome of a prophet. He done seen the thorns. He done seen the piercing and the whipping. I got to carry this thing up to Golgotha. Can we skip that part, and you still get what you want? Because this, this is it's looking a little wicked. Like, can I, can I figure it out? Next sentence. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. We initially see Jesus asking for there to be another way to satisfy the will of God and him not to go through issue. This sounds like the body now. How do I get through this financial hardship without sowing a seed? How do I get out of the sickbed without faith and prayer? How do I change my mindset and get rid of this familiar spirits, but I won't fast? How can I do this in an alternative manner? How can I let this cup of suffering, or what I say in this instance, sacrifice, pass me? God has been answering you the whole time. 
He says, if wicked people give good gifts to their children, how much more would I give unto you? I've been answering your prayer. You don't want to sacrifice. You don't want to give up nothing. You don't want to go to that uncomfortable space. Let me tell you something. I watched my daddy go through withdrawal every time he tried to quit the rock. And every time he tried to quit the rock, he did, but had to go through the aches and the pains and the issues of coming off a substance. It's the same thing when you want something in God. You've got to come off of that thing. You have come off the teats, come off the comfortable space, and let God work it out on the inside of you. You cannot sit still and beckon God to do something, and you won't match his effort. Old songs just say you can't beat God's giving, but you can match an effort. I'm willing to sacrifice something, God. I want to put something on the altar that I know you're going to do something useful with it. I've gotten to a place where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of praying and not seeing action. It's starting to mess with my faith life because I'm praying to an almighty God, and you're not showing up how I think you should. And the question still keeps coming, what have you sacrificed lately? I know you asked me for stuff, but what have you given up to get what you want? He's former leg by nature. He's, he's a God of reciprocity. If you give it up, I gotta replace it with something. If you sacrifice, I gotta do something in response. If you look in the Old uh, Testament, when they laid animals down on the altar, it was for something. The blood of a ram and the blood of the bull and the oxen during a time of atonement. I've atoned your sins, you give me currency. Not that I need to spend any money, but you have to come to a place of sacrifice. In the same verse of scripture, Jesus makes a sacrifice. Prophetically, he's aware of the physical anguish he's about to go through. He sees how they're going to treat him and abuse him, and he asks for a plan B. And in the same breath, he makes a sacrifice of comfort. No, knowing he could call angels. That's like when you know you can call your friend, like my, my cell phone bill do. And I got that one homie that just got money for no reason because he ain't got no kids. So he can just cash at me a couple dollars. I'm glad somebody else laughed at me. Because I, I keep a couple homeboys. I keep it. Listen, my wife would tell you, my life is built on contingencies. If I am short on bread here, Klarna got it over there. If I can't get it done, quad pay can. There's a way that this works out. <laughs> There's a way that seems right to this prophet. It will work out. <laughs> but the thing is, you, you get to this point. He knows he has a contingency. That even being the Christ, he can make a choice. I could call angels, he says. Knowing that he had a choice, nevertheless, let thy will be done. Jesus has this moment of sacrifice. I got to do it this way. Because if I called the angels, what would happen to the end result? If I wanted to get down and I did get down, what would be the end result? Would it mess up the entire plan? How much detriment would I cause to the will of God if I don't do it this way? Somehow in this western side of church, we've grown so comfortable that we only want to do stuff God's way of doing it. Excuse me, our way of doing it rather than God's way. So long as it don't hurt me too much, God, I'll do it. So long as it don't keep me in church too long, I'll go. So long as it don't ask for too much, I'll sow. You know we blocking up our blessings? that you're literally shutting up the windows of heaven because he wants to pour out where you don't have room enough to receive, but you still got stuff that's in the way? This word was self-examining to me this morning because I really had to stop and think, what have I sacrificed lately? I know it's, it's a hard task sometimes to be a leader and, and to be in leadership, but what have I sacrificed personally lately? 
I'm praying for a house, God, and I'm praying for a better job, God, and I want to do things, but what have I sacrificed? Are you still having to pull teeth for me to do what you asked me to do? Are you still having to push me to be obedient? Are you still having to keep showing me confirmation after confirmation in the prophetic word to get me to do what you want me to do? Or have I gotten to a place where sacrifice is okay? I didn't expect a lot of hooping and hollering during this because it's going to sit heavy in your lap. Because as you go throughout your week, you're going to stop and think, can I afford to sacrifice that? I'm being in the drive-thru. They got the two for six. I'm like, yeah, Lord. He said, now nah, you're going to pay for that, but you couldn't put nothing in the offering basket? I said, dang, I can't even go to Arby's while the Lord's showing up. Good Lord. I just want to get something to eat, and you sit there talking to me doing my sandwich. But that's, this is how bad God wants us to understand where he wants us to be. It's not about just an emotional experience. It's not about just coming in, and fellowship is great. But it's not going to suffice. It's not going to satisfy the longing you have in your spirit. Watch this, Prophet Tom. The Lord had me to interpret the tongues that you were doing during praise and worship. He said, I put out a clarion call in the heavenlies that those that are willing to come will answer the call of the deep. Mind you, the call went out. Who are them that will answer? Those that are willing to sacrifice. It's cool to say yes, but are you going to sacrifice for that place? Are you going to give up? Initially, this whole sermon was based on Job. Because if you look at Job, all three of these things happened to him. His image, his acquisition, and his self. Why do you think Job got the honor of, of, of the Lord saying, have you tried my servant Job? Now, when I was young, I used to think, dang, why are you such a boy up like that? Why you just put my man under the bus and let the devil get him? It's an honor for God to put Job in that space because Job had done enough where the sacrifice was going to match the response. Everybody around Job saying, curse God and die, let it go, it's over, wrap it up. No, I'm going to stay faithful. What happens after that? Though you slay me, yet, only, only few people can really say that, to be honest with you. It sound catchy. It sound real good when you want to get the room hype. But only few people can say that and mean it. Though you slay me, though these numbers don't match, though I've been overdrafted for 30 days, though there's no gas in the car, though my kids are disobedient, though I'm lonely and heartbroken, though I'm going through stuff at the job, yet will I trust you. It's a place you get to in your mind. Yet will I trust you. It don't feel good right here, God. I'm breaking under this pressure, but yet will I trust you. That yet means something. That sacrifice means something. God, I, listen, for God I live and for God I die. It sounds good when you say it until they put that thing to the test. I heard a preacher say, faith is not faith until it's tested. Faith can only be faith until it goes through something. It's good to say these things in the midst of your brothers and sisters because it sounds appropriate. But then when your back is put up against the wall, what do you do? Do you lean on contingencies or do you sacrifice? actually learn it from Tom. Prophet Tom will uh, uh, pour out all kinds of money. And I do math in my head. I'm like, Tom, them numbers don't match. We was just talking about numbers the other day. Your numbers don't match and not a flinch in the spirit. Huh, hold that. I'm like, where you get all that money from? I give. All right. Listen, we stand to our feet. I told you I wasn't going to be up here long. But it's definitely something that 
we need to examine in regards to what we're doing. God says, what have you sacrificed lately? You've been asking me for things. You've been wanting me to do and show up in a certain way. What have you sacrificed? Or are you still comfortable? Right there was supposed to be a praise. And it went up and went down. That's all right. As the opportunity to sacrifice shows up this week, you're going to remember this word. Because how do praises keep vacillating like that? How does your attachment or your desire for God waver in such a way? Because you're not sacrificing. It's cool to stand over the edge of the pool and put your toe in. It's nice to test the water with your toe. Why don't you just jump in? Why don't you jump in and see what happens? What's the worst that can happen in God? Why don't you jump all the way in and see what happens? How many of us are ready to jump? Think about it. Don't raise your hand half-heartedly. How many of us are ready to jump in the deep end and see what God has for us? The prophetic word that came across the pulpit is that retribution was coming. And there's two sides of retribution. There's punishment and there's reward. The reward only comes for them that are in the deep. The reward's only coming for them that are not going to be satisfied by the world. Why would God reward someone who's already satisfied? So we're going to try that again. This is where the praise goes. Do y'all see why this word is so heavy? I want to try one more time. Knowing what God can do and knowing that he's abundant and has prepared abundance for you. All he's asking is for sacrifice. In this moment, it's a sacrifice of praise. All he's looking for is sacrifice. Y'all waiting for Ty and them to play. I'm glad they didn't play. Y'all waiting for a cue. Y'all waiting for an emotion to trigger the display. Sacrifice doesn't have a cue. If you want it, get it. If you want it, go and grab it. There's a thing you have to do that cannot be cued by anybody else. Only you know what you're going through. And the answer has now been presented. All right, now y'all can help him out. Thank you, brother. We can play that sweet closing music now. I sincerely pray that the Lord would show us opportunities to sacrifice on this week. That for the place that he has for us to go and the place that he wants to promote us into, that we learn how to sacrifice. That we wouldn't keep holding up stuff because we want to hold on to yesterday because yesterday's familiar and I know how yesterday works. This is why we stay in bad relationships because it seems bad to everybody else, but I know exactly how he's going to hit me. I know exactly what he's going to say. I know exactly how they're going to treat me. This is why we have the issue because we're a consumer mindset. So long as it pleases me, I don't have to do anything. We got to get to that place of surrender, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. Where what God has already allotted for us is not fictitious, it's not far off. We're not still tearing for it, but we can literally just reach out and grab it. But you got to be empty for that. Empty of issue, ulterior motive, empty of character flaws and insecurities. Literally just do it. Moses struggled so bad because he was so insecure about his speech impediment. And look how we talk about Moses now mighty man of God. You couldn't tell Moses in Exodus 4 that this is what he was going to be. He thought he was so unworthy because he stuttered when he spoke. 
You know, sacrifice goes against that mindset that you might have, that you're not enough, that you're still looking for validation, you're still looking for the words of people that are going to affirm you in a place that you're supposed to be. Guess what? The words aren't coming. Let me be the bringer of bad news. The words are not coming because the affirmation comes from God. That validation comes from God. They, the words may do good on my resume, may do good on my performance evaluation, but the validation is coming from God. What you're looking to hear to be satisfied in your spirit is not coming from your neighbor. It's literally coming from God. Your way out, your way of escape, your new development, your new revelation, that new layer of healing is coming by way of God. Will you make room for it, though? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you this morning, God, that, Father, the opportunity has been presented to us, that sacrifice is what's required in this season. Whatever we're holding on to, God, whatever is keeping us stagnant, God, whatever is keeping us familiar, God, and away from the thing that you have for us, God, Father, we pray that you cause it to be exposed even now, that you'd bring the image to our minds, that you'd bring the person or the language or the occurrence to our mind that we be willing to relinquish that familiar thing, that safety blanket, God, that's keeping us out of the radical, that's keeping us out of the miracle signs and wonders that belong to us. Father, we don't want to keep repeating seasons, in and out the hospital, in and out of relationship, in and out of issue, friendships and businesses, in and out, going back and forth. God, but we want to be satisfied. Just like the woman at the well, God, we came to you thirsty. We want to leave the bucket behind. This living water that you give, we don't want to thirst again, God. Inspire us to make room for this. What things need to be decluttered? What things need to be thrown away and discarded? We pray that you would make it expedient in our spirit, God. That, Father, we would rush to make room for you. It's like we rush for that promotion. We rush for that, that situation and that person. Let us rush to get out the way. Father, we thank you now. and We believe it to be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is still a great time for worship. I told you there was another wave that was prepared right after the word. This is personal. It has nothing to do with any musicians. God bless you. I love you both, brothers. But it has to do with you. The altar is open for sacrifice. Do with, do with it what you will. Uh, we have someone coming with the bucket. If you feel that you are led to sow, y'all know how that goes. We sow a tax for the warfare. Trust me, this word did not come easy. Apostle always teaches us that it is the preacher that gets it first. Amen. <laughs>